Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And in today's episode, we're going to have a potpourri of subjects, beginning with be ye doers and not hearers only. I must say I have a confession to make. There have been times when I've been sitting in a pew, listening to a gospel preacher deliver a sermon, and have thought, I sure hope so-and-so is listening to this sermon. He or she really needs to hear this. Frankly, sometimes I wasn't even that specific in my thinking. Instead, I thought of the ubiquitous they. They sure need to hear this. Have you ever done the same thing? God has warned us about the need to make application of his word to ourselves. Do you remember the account of the prophet Nathan coming to David after his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah? In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan told David the story of a rich man with many flocks and herds and a poor man who had nothing save one little ewe lamb. He loved that lamb and treated it as one of the family. He held it to his bosom and it was to him as a daughter. One day a traveler came to visit the rich man and he chose not to take of his own flocks but he took the poor man's lamb and killed it to feed his guest. Hearing that story David was filled with righteous indignation and he said in verses 5 and 6 as the Lord liveth the man that has done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan's response to David resonates across the ages, teaching the need to examine self first. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, the following And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. The lesson is clearly that the first person I need to be concerned about when it comes to applying God's word is myself. I need to make personal application of its principles before I look to anyone else. I think of Paul's words in Romans chapter 2 verse 21, where he wrote, Thou therefore that teaches another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preaches a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Again, we can easily see the principle. Application begins with me. In James chapter 1 verse 22 we read, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If we look at the first phrase of this verse simply from a grammatical standpoint, It means keep on demonstrating yourselves to be doers of the word. 
The import of that statement is that it is not enough to hear the word and to receive it in that way. A person has to be obedient to it. Did you ever stop to consider that God never blessed anyone in any age or dispensation of time for simply hearing the word and simply believing it? God's blessings came when the individual's faith was exhibited in obedience and not before. It has never been enough to simply hear the word, or for that matter, simply to believe it. It must be expressed in action in life. It must be personally applied in order to bless and save. Take care to notice of whom the action is required. It is required of me. I must do what the word says personally. I must apply it to myself, and so must you. I want to talk to you about making a covenant with our eyes. When I was a freshman in high school, I took biology. We were assigned a special project and given some latitude in deciding what to do. I decided to go down to the butcher shop at the end of our street to see if the butcher would give me a cow's eye. I was going to dissect it and label all of its various parts, and he did it for me. The butcher saved an eye from one of the cow's heads that they used to have delivered, and he gave it to me free of charge. So I undertook the dissection, and although not particularly germane to this short episode, I will tell you that the dissection did not go well. How was I supposed to know that a cow's eye is under pressure? Anyway, once it stopped squirting liquid at me, what I already did know about the eye was reaffirmed. The physical eye is a marvelous mechanism. The relatively small human eye, not much more than an inch across, opens up a vast world for us. With it we can see distant horizons and heavenly bodies, massive mountains, rolling seas, lush rainforests, and arid deserts. With the same eye we can see minute microscopic bodies. As one who has worn glasses since about the fourth or fifth grade, I also know that the physical eye can have serious defects. In like manner, the spiritual eye can develop some real problems if it is not properly taken care of. In Job 31.1 we find, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? To think upon is to look intently, the obvious implication being to look upon with lust. Job had made a pledge to himself that he would not do that. He made a covenant with his eyes. Think of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. He said, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of my members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If only David had made the same covenant with his eyes that Job made, and then stuck to it, the tragic and sad story of David and Bathsheba would not have entered into the annals of history. How many terrible situations could be avoided if we will simply make the same covenant with our eyes. And one more subject I'd like to talk to you about today, the richest people on earth. There's a tendency to get so involved with the affairs of this world that we can forget that one of the most fundamental principles, 
presented in the Word of God. Genuine Christians are the richest people on earth. I remember a statement the Lord made to the church in Smyrna in verse 9 of Revelation 2. This was a congregation of the Lord's people who knew and experienced real physical poverty of the sort that most of us have never experienced. Yet Jesus said to them, I know thy works and tribulations and poverty, but thou art rich. True, faithful Christians are the richest people on earth, but it is not always easy to remember that, is it? If we should find ourselves in a situation where we aren't sure how we're going to pay the next month's rent, it can be hard to realize just how wealthy we really are. If a faithful child of God has to decide between the medicine he needs or a couple of meals a day, it can be pretty hard to feel rich. When our body is racked with pain or those that we love are dealing with a terminal illness that affects our thinking seemingly every minute of every day, it can be hard to remember that no other people occupy a position as enviable on this earth as do faithful children of God. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings are found in Christ. In verses 22 and 23 of that chapter, chapter 1, we find, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The easiest way to understand verse 23 is to think of a tire that contains an inner tube. When the inner tube is filled with air until it is the fullness of the tire, then all of the air in the tire must be in the inner tube. In just the same way, the church is the fullness of Christ, meaning that all the glorious blessings to be found in Christ are in the church. So, as members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ, faithful Christians enjoy all of the blessings that matter most, the spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1 gives us a partial listing of some of those blessings. In verses 3 through 4, we find that we have been chosen by God and predestined unto the adoption as his children. We understand that God has chosen and foreordained that those who respond in obedient faith to the gospel would be adopted as his children. In verse 11, we are told of the marvelous inheritance that awaits us. Verse 12 tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There are so many more blessings mentioned just in Ephesians chapter 1, but one of them absolutely rivets my attention. In verse 7 we read, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How wealthy are we? We have been forgiven, having had the price for our redemption paid by the blood of Christ and having been washed in the blood through baptism, we are no longer separated from our Creator. If there were nothing else, that alone would make the faithful children of God the wealthiest people on earth. Think about these things.